Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clean. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Welcome, everyone, to episode 232 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Taporic, and today we are going to talk about game one of the NBA finals, preview game two, and talk more about the Houston Rockets, who are trying their best to implode before our very eyes. Before we get to all of that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter, at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews, and help us out. And we are now being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter, at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. Uh, not as well as Jacob Evans, who got three seconds of playing game one in the finals. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just go right into game one. Because I was, I was pleasantly surprised that afterward I, I was expecting a lot more overreaction. And I, I don't think I've seen as much as I was expecting necessarily, but yeah, especially from the people who just thought like, oh, the Raptors are totally overmatched. They have no chance in this series. And then they come out and win game one, 118-109. They win a game one, which is like the biggest story of anything we're going to talk about today, because just mm-hmm. given their, their history in game ones in the playoffs. Um, Kawhi Leonard did not have a spectacular game at least by his standards 23 points on 5 of 14 shooting 8 rebounds 5 assists and a steal pascal siakam was the big story for the raptors 32 points on 14 of 17 shooting 8 rebounds 5 assists and a steal he was phenomenal and they had no answer for him nope and two blocks right yeah two threes too a couple of the i think at least one of them was like the above the key three which you know, the, the Sixers and the Bucks were willingly conceding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was he was outstanding, and his transition play was just fantastic. The way would he would just, I mean, run the floor, fill the lane, and, and finish with very, di- you know, high degree of, uh, high level of di- uh, difficulty layups uh, was, was outstanding. And he had this running hook slash uh-huh. layup thing, uh, I think, in the, in the second half. Where his his head was at least you know ten inches away from from the from the basket where his yeah. arms was behind him and he still banged it off the glass. Like I I don't expect him to come out and be as hot for the rest of the series, but right. I mean because at one point he would hit what nine straight shots. Yeah, I thought I think it was eleven even. Was it eleven? He I, came, oh, something God, like ridiculous. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like fourteen of seventeen from, I mean, from the field, which is, which is just ridiculous. But like, he just took very, 
<laughs> very difficult shots and, and made them. Yeah. It, it would have been an entirely different scenario had he had he not made those those shots, of course. I mean, this is to some extent a certain case of, 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 of a player getting hot, but I mean he gave them a push and and to the Raptors' credit, they realized that he had the hot hand and then they realized he was really feeling himself at some point and then they fed him and made sure that he would keep on gunning. And at the same time you, you kind of use Kawhi as a type of security blanket. Mm-hmm. In the fourth, late in the fourth quarter, I mean, he stepped back and had like a ridiculous three, yeah. um, and and just basically forced his way to the free throw line, and you know, he basically just closed the game out. So you were yeah. you were riding Siakam for most of the game. You also had you also got pretty terrific production from Marcus Gasol, I should add, mm-hmm. and then you just have this certainty with the Kawhi factor. I I don't think I've ever seen the Raptors play like this before, where they, they feel comfortable in the fact that they have someone who can close out a game. Yeah. Well, they yeah, they didn't before this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're, you're totally right. But, yeah, I mean, he's been doing this for three straight rounds now, and, and he's keeping it up in the finals. I, I think the li- thing I liked about Siakam is that he got matched up against Steph Curry a couple times on offense, and he was very aggressive in hunting down those opportunities. You mentioned that hook shot. He had a couple of those, I think. Uh, at least, at least two that I remember, both against Steph, where you know he sees, I've got six inches on this guy. I'm just gonna back him down and get something close to the basket. Like we were talking before coming into the series about how we expected the Warriors to guard Kawhi, and what we said was we thought they were gonna double him a lot. Right? They were either gonna blitz him on pick and rolls, and that's exactly what happened in Game One. And, you know, Steve Kerr came out after the game and said, we were basically giving the Raptors supporting cast what he called dare shots. So, mm-hmm. you know, forcing a four on three, daring Marc Gasol to beat you, daring Siakam to beat you, daring Danny Green, who had been ice cold in that Milwaukee series, daring those guys to hit open shots. And to their credit, they did. I mean, Danny Green had 11 points, three threes, which was just, I mean, he was against ice cold in the Milwaukee series. And now you get something out of him. He had an early one, which is probably just good for his confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, Gasol in particular, I thought was phenomenal really on both ends of the court. But, you know, we said coming in, he's going to have a mismatch in the series. The Warriors started Jordan Bell. We weren't sure which of their five centers they were going to start. They started Bell, but played Kevon Looney more. But Gasol... I mean, you know, the the story with the Warriors is is a traditional center can't play against the Warriors. They they play him right. off the floor. We saw it with Clint Capella. Gasol stayed on the floor. He played thirty minutes. He had twenty points on six to ten shooting, two three seven rebounds. Was just that's what they need if if they're going to continue doing this defense against Kawhi, where it's four on three opportunities. The, the Raptors supported cast is going to have to continue making shots, and to their credit, they did in game one. Yeah. I, I think there were a couple times where Gasol was, like, wide open, and he kind of hesitated mm-hmm. because he just, he hasn't been accustomed to being that open for the entirety of the playoffs, really. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm, I'm actually sitting here thinking I don't think um, th- that the Warriors are going to do that from game two and onwards mm-hmm. because he's just too good of a shooter, He's too good of a playmaker in space as well as a center. And I, I just think they need to limit his space. 
He can do so many different things offensively, not even to talk about his defense, which is also outstanding. You you alluded to this. I, I mean, Gasol, we talked about this coming in. Like, he's a major key to this series, and if they insist on on providing him with a ton of space, they are going to suffer the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tricky. I mean, until Kevin Durant comes back, it's just tough for the Warriors on both ends of the floor, frankly. But right. defensively, it, you're, you're relying on Jordan Bell, Looney, or DeMarcus Cousins, who made his return. You know, he, had, he tears the quad in game two of the opening round against the Clippers. He did play eight minutes in game one of the finals. He was three points, 0 of two shooting, two assists, two steals. Do you think they need more from Cousins in game two? Do you think he's, like, up to speed already? To me, he just he looked slow, which is not... I don't mean to sound antagonistic when I say that. Because, like, of course, he's coming off of a torn quad. Of course right. he looks slow. But he just didn't seem to be playing at the speed they're going to need him to in this series. I agree. Having said that, I, I had a problem with the two shots that he did take. One was a three, and the other was, like, in, I want to say, like, a 19, 20-footer. Mm-hmm. Look, if, he, if he's supposed to be on the court, then don't make him a spacer. Like, yeah. use him for what he is. A a six eleven two eighty five whatever, you know, pit bull near the basket. I mean, dump the ball into him if you if you go through a dry period, throw him in there, get get him you know get him to the line. I mean, again, in eight minutes he got four three throws. This dude can still draw fouls. Yeah, get him near the rim. That's yeah. I mean that that is where you get the most out of him. And I think I don't remember the exact lineup he played with. I could double check popcorn machine, but both of his stints they were there were two like four minute stints at the beginning of the second and the fourth quarter, and it was Clay, him, and then three other bench guys. I think it was Jarebko, McKinney, and Quinn Cook or Sean Livingston. I it might have been Livingston, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if he needs to be playing a little bit more with the starters, but then where do you generate offense? I mean, this is ultimately. My question for the Warriors until Kevin Durant comes back is where do you generate offense aside from Curry and Thompson? And I don't have a good answer for that. No, I mean, theoretically, it would have been Boogie. Mm-hmm. But that just, I mean, again, like you said, he's he's moving slow. And right now he's taking jump shots, which is not really working. Um, I, I don't know. Iggy is no longer that player. Right. Jordan Bell, I mean... When you really look at his skill set, there is something there. He can hit the fifteen footer. Uh, he even looked great in summer league last, uh, yeah, last year in terms of shooting the ball from three. Mm-hmm. And he's he's done none of that this year really, but he can hit jump shots. He's very athletic, so he can you know finish plays in transition, and he can also on occasion go into the post. But he's just not part of the game plan, which I get because it's the finals. You want the ball to go through your primary guys. Right. Thing is, the Warriors are getting pretty short on them. Yeah. Um, you know, Alfonso McKinney is a pretty decent scorer who's developed a jump shot, so I think that's one avenue. You mentioned Quinn Cook. I always like what he gives you offensively. I mean, he's got this gunner mentality, and I think that might actually be needed a little bit. But I'm looking at, ironically, Jacob Evans, because mm-hmm. coming in, he's a ball creator or a shot creator. 
he can do stuff with the ball in his hands. Like he's a rookie, so there's definitely this this idea of him not being experienced, which is right. And he may have some butterflies, which is completely fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would also be one of those guys you can put in where the Raptors would be going, "Whoa, we have no game plan for this." <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the. Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At ACE, we believe there's nothing better than helping kids. That's why we've been proud to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for over 25 years. This Friday through Sunday, get our five-gallon bucket and 20% off almost anything that fits inside when you donate $5 to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And like ACE, CMN Hospitals are local, so the money you donate helps kids near you. ACE is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Offer valid at participating stores on regular price merchandise only. Additional conditions and exclusions apply. See store for details. So, well, let's go into game two now, which is on Sunday. If you're the Warriors, what's your panic level going into this game? I'm the Warriors. I'm two-time defending champs. I've won three championships within the last four years. Uh, zero. Mm. And that it seems like that's what it is, because after game one... Uh, Steph was talking with Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, I believe, and he was like, I'm very confident, like all caps, very confident that we'll figure mm. it out. We're fine. He, you know, he was saying, like, I love this kind of stuff. Like, I, I genuinely enjoy the challenge of facing a team that matches up well with us. Like, this mm-hmm. is the, the Raptors are not last year's Cavaliers. Like, the Raptors are a real threat to us especially until Kevin Durant comes back. If I mean, look, I picked the Raptors to win this series coming in, so mm-hmm. I'm not shocked that they won game 1. I, I like I'm hap- I'm, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised that they did because I was in the back of my mind worried like, "Oh god, I galaxy brained this and they were going to get swept and I'm going to look <laughs> like an idiot." So I'm glad that they at least made me look good for one game. If I'm the Raptors, I'm feeling confident because I, I went in and I like I, the nerves of the finals did not get to me. I defended home court. I feel good about my chances, especially without Durant, because I think what we said coming in with their defense is just really good. Like the, yeah. these aren't the Portland Trailblazers. You know, the Warriors got down 15 points against the Trailblazers in each of those last three conference semi or conference finals games. And you knew that barrage was coming. The inevitable third quarter Golden State just drilled a hundred threes and, you know, overwhelmed them and then the the Blazers were gonna cave. The Raptors aren't that. Like the the Warriors cut it down to four, I believe, a couple times in the third quarter, and then the Raptors kept coming back and hitting shots that just stymied the momentum. Like they, they just kept them it was all you know, for most of that second half or at least the third quarter, it was in that like six to eight to nine point range where the Raptors had a lead, but the Warriors were in striking distance. But they always kept hitting these, the the momentum stopping shots that I think said a lot about where the Raptors are. So if I'm the Raptors, I feel good. But if I'm the Warriors, I, I think you're right. 
you know, the Warriors are probably thinking like, okay, that's great. Like Pascal Siakam's not going to get 32 again in this series. Mm. Danny Green's probably not going to hit three threes again. Like he was, you know, he's been bad for most of the playoffs. We'll take our chances. The odds are going to even out if he cools off again. Fred Van Vliet probably isn't going to come off and give us 15 points off the bench again. Like if we can limit to Kawhi to 20, 25 points, we probably feel good about our chances here. Right. Thing about that though, you brought up the defense. Yeah. Nine players played for for Toronto. Like you can argue Patrick McCaw's six minutes and and fifty seconds. <laughs> he's not he's not necessarily a great defender right. by any stretch. Right. But when you look at like Kawhi, former DPOY, yeah, Siakam, versatile switchy defender who can virtually guard four to five positions in a pinch. Kyle Lowry, very explosive defensive point guard. Marcus All, also former DPOY. Danny Green, also very prestigious defender, can guard multiple deficient uh, positions. Then Fred, Fred Van Lead, not normally a guy you associate with great defense. He's just figured out how to stick with Curry, and he, yeah. he played his ass off defensively in game one. Yep. So let's consider him a defensive asset, at least for this series. Mm-hmm. Then you have Serge Ibaka. We know about him, shot-blocking machine, who you know, can still move. Uh, and then you have Norman Powell, who only played four minutes and 35 seconds, but but Powell is actually a pretty good defender. Yep. He's one of those guys who will stick with people. So the Raptors can just keep throwing defenders at you. Right. And so while the Warriors may be thinking, well, we're not going to see the same you know, type of game offensively from these guys, well, that's all fine and dandy, but they will see the same you know game plan defensively. They'll yeah. still see the same defensive-minded players come at them again for game two, and that carries a lot of weight. But I do agree with you. I mean, if those guys do not turn up, I mean, you don't need Pascal necessarily to, you know, to score 32 on 17 shots. But if the supporting cast doesn't you know, show up and provide a significant lift, then yeah, that absolutely plays right into Golden State's hands. Yeah. You, you need the best of both worlds. This is the NBA Finals. Yeah. You know, just playing one side of the ball, it's not going to cut it. Playing average on one end of the court, not going to cut it. You need to deliver both ends of the court 48 minutes. Yeah, and speaking of personnel, it sounds like OG Ananobi is going to come back for game two. So that's another rangy defender who can guard multiple positions yep. that Toronto is likely going to gain. I doubt we see him play 30-plus minutes. I mean, I, I think he'll probably take 10, 15 at most, but... It's just another option they can throw out there. And uh, he can hit threes as well. He's one yeah. of those classic 3 and D players. So, yeah, he's probably going to take you know Patrick McCaw's minutes and maybe Norman Powell's, depending on situation. Yeah. Right, right. And, I mean, if you're talking about the supporting cast, Kyle Lowry only had seven points. Like, yeah. you're probably going to get more from him in game two, which will counteract, okay, Siakam doesn't have 32. Well, if he has 20 and Lowry has 20, then there you go. You made up the difference right there. Right. And here's the thing about Kawhi. You mentioned it earlier that if Golden State comes in thinking, well, if we you know limit Kawhi to 25 points in game two and we shut down the supporting cast, then we're looking pretty great. I agree with that. But if you are going to shut down the supporting cast, that means you can't blitz. That means you can't double. Mm-hmm. And there's no chance in hell that Kawhi Leonard ends up with just 25 points if you throw single coverage at him. I don't yeah. care who you are. Well, especially because Iggy, it looked like he tweaked that calf again in, at the end of game one. He said he's going to be fine. They put him through an MRI. 
he's going to play Sunday. But yeah, if he's hampered at all by that, I mean, th- we're talking split-second margins here. If mm-hmm. he is a half-step slow against Kawhi Leonard, that's it. Yeah, and, and even if he isn't, I mean, Kawhi's just... We, we talked about this at the finals preview. Kawhi's just that much better offensively now. Yeah. I mean, and, and Iggy... I love his passion. I love his intensity. He's still athletic. He's still all these things. But it's still Kawhi in his damn prime. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm taking those odds every single time. Yeah. And I think another thing is, we mentioned this in the preview as well, the Warriors' defense is not as good this year as it has been in years past. And I think we saw a little bit of that in Game 1, where, yeah, they still have the same personnel. They still have Iggy and Clay, and both of those guys are really good, and they're going to give Kawhi a lot of trouble. But the Raptors had 118 in the game. Like, it, it, I'm feeling pretty good. If I'm the Raptors, I'm feeling very good about my performance on both sides of the ball in Game mm-hmm. 1. And I feel like my defense, my defense is superior to Golden State's. I, I, you know, the Warriors offense, sure. especially once Durant comes back, is better. But if you can g- keep your defense so locked in, that gives you some margin of error on offense. I, I don't know. I mean, I just think the Raptors should feel... I, like, I understand... Confident. Yeah, I understand why the Warriors feel confident heading into game two, but I think the Raptors should feel just as confident. I get that. And, and you're right about the defense for Golden State. Let, let me just read you the, the list of names of the bench players for Golden State in Game 1 who I played, and let me know who's a plus defender there. We have Kevon Looney, Sean Livingston, Quinn Cook, Alfonso McKinney, DeMarcus Cousins, Jonas Repko, and Jacob Evans for three seconds. Yeah. Who's a plus defender there? Like, a legitimate, game-changing defender. Mm. Looney would be the closest thing. Yes, he would be the uh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. He would be the closest. Like he's a he's a plus defender, but he's not you know an overwhelming defender. Right. Yeah, but like he's the closest. Then you go to the Toronto's bench, which I talked about previously, where you you know you have Norman Powell, you have Serge Ibaka, you have apparently a very motivated, defensively inclined Flit Van lead, and then you're you next in game two, you'll have Ochiano Nobi returning. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's and then you have two DPOIs in the starting lineup. Not to mention, you know, Pascal Siakam and Danny Green. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right. it's it's just absurd. So so yeah, I, I definitely give Toronto the the defensive edge in this one. I, I think what this comes down to for this series is really offense. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just gonna. It sounds like I'm crapping on the Warriors, but I'm really not. But when you look at that bench, not only do don't they really have a you know a defensive changer. They don't yep. really have an offensive-minded player there outside of Cousins, yep. and he's sort of physically limited. Yep. But but who do you really rely on there for points? Who is your, you know, sixth man? Who is your guy to come in and and can give you, I don't know, 15, 17 points in the game? Who I'm is re- that guy? Quinn I'm, Cook. I'm really glad you brought that up because I have an article going up, I think, later today at the Basketball Writers about how. I mean, this is kind of the pitfall of the Big Four model, is that in time, your depth withers away, and you either have to hit on a late-round draft pick or a second-round pick, like the Raptors did with Pascal Siakam. And it looked like the Warriors did with Jordan Bell at first, but you know he kind of fell back out of the rotation or there were some off-court issues, whatever. So you either have to hit there, or you mm-hmm. have to hit 
on one of your few salary cap exceptions. This year, they only have the taxpayer mid-level. They get DeMarcus Cousins, which is the best you could ever realistically hope for on a taxpayer mid-level exception. But mm-hmm. you get DeMarcus Cousins coming off a torn Achilles. DeMarcus Cousins now coming off of a torn quad that he suffered in the playoffs. That, I mean, frankly, it's a miracle he's even back for the finals, but we don't know how useful he's going to be moving forward. Right. Because of their salary restrictions, or because they just have four guys signed to such big deals, it limits the way they can round out their roster. And your depth withers away after a while. And now you're left with, as you said, this grab bag of like McKinney and Cook were undrafted free agents a couple of years ago. Jarebko is a veteran past his prime who signed for the veteran minimum. Sean Livingston is going to retire in two weeks. Right. You know, it, they just don't have a Serge Ibaka coming off the bench, even a Fred Van Vliet coming off the bench. The Raptors played fewer players than the Warriors did in game one, and the Warriors bench technically outscored the Raptors bench. I think it was 36 to 25. But the Raptors bench is better than the Warriors bench at yeah. this point. Or you can, It's more reliable. You know you're at least getting some impact performance out of Van Vliet and Ibaka, whereas the Warriors, it's like, as you said, who's going to get me 15 points off the bench? Right. There's Unless, a pecking order in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, and look, the Warriors wouldn't cha- trade the last three years for anything. I'm not saying that you know, right. they were wrong to go about the big four. Like, they won two titles, they're in the finals, they very well could win a third. It's just like, this is why dynasties collapse after a while. It's not just the disease of me. It's the fact that after a while, your bench just collapses. You can't, you just don't have the mechanisms to continue reloading unless you get really lucky and mm-hmm. hit on your signings or hit on your late round picks. Like the the Spurs were so good for so long because they kept finding late first round gems and they continue to. Look at Derek White. Yep. Yep. Uh, and and this is like the Warriors are going to try this with Jacob Evans to yeah. be fair. I right. mean, we we've we've read about that. He's going to be playing a lot of point guard in summer league and over the course of the off season. So he's, they're probably priming him to come in next year as you know a primary shot creator off the bench. Mm-hmm. And they need it. I mean, there's a reason that with every mock draft I've made for uh, for the basketball writers, I've basically given them Carson Edwards. <laughs> You're right, yeah. Right? They need that type of player for sure. Cause they just, yeah, they do. They don't... Yeah, I mean, they, Jacob Evans, as you said, played three seconds. Damian Jones was their first-round pick in 2016. Nothing. They're getting nothing out of two of their three most recent first-round picks. Looney was their first-round pick in 2015, mm-hmm. and they gave up their 2014 and 2017 first to get Iguodala. Again, it's like you don't trade those moves. You won three rings in four years, and you could win four and five. Like These are yeah. necessary sacrifices you need to make to have your window, but this is why this window was never going to last forever. Yeah. And it's also a risk always when when drafting a big man who is you know in, in interior motivated, yeah. Like Damian Jones. So I, I mean, I was always a little bit skeptical of why they would go for bigs. I know that the outside opinion of the Warriors were always, well, they got Steph and Clay and Draymond who's six seven and Iggy and who else, but they really lack some size off the bench. Where it's like that's not important. That's not how they operate. They they need playmaking. They need to have a balance. Right. When 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 the stars are on the bench, you have 
nothing. I, even even back then when they had Maurice Bates, yeah, like, he was huge for him. And or Leandro Barbosa or David like, West or David West. Yeah, I mean th- those are guys who could make offensive plays for you. Even Not Jamel necessarily. McGee. JaVale had one hell of a season, or yeah. a couple of seasons, really. Right? Yeah. yeah. They, are, they are sorely missing that type of player, for sure. Yeah. Uh, since we brought up the basketball writers a couple times, Mort, are you tired of clickbait, ads, pop-up videos, talking head hyperbole, big market bias, and data selling? Are you tired of soap operas, wild speculation, and unnamed sources? Are you tired of padding the stats of CEOs and shareholders while your favorite content creators get paid pennies for their work? At bballwriters.com, they are, too. That's why they created the Basketball Writers. At bballwriters.com, they concentrate on just the game and everything they love about it. The NBA, WNBA, EuroLeague, Fantasy Basketball, the Draft, and many more corners of the Hoops universe they're soon to explore. All in one place on a blazingly fast, clean site that lets you choose which writer to directly support while still enjoying all the content from their whole team. Elevate the conversation, elevate the game. They'll see you at bballwriters.com, and don't forget to enter the code the NBA Pod for 10% off your annual monthly or daily subscription. That's the NBA Pod for 10% off. You can read my column about the Warriors. It goes up. Mort's got some draft stuff coming out there. Mm-hmm. Lots of good finals coverage as well, and draft and free agency. All good stuff. So bballwriters.com, the NBA Pod. So Mort, Kevin Durant's been ruled out for game two. Yeah. It sounds, according to Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, he's targeting hopefully a Game 3 or Game 4 return. What do you think happens in Game (laughs) 2? That's a good question. I mean, we basically talked about it in in terms of the adjustments that we're probably going to make, but uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, they have to limit the the shot amounts for Isiakam. They have to make sure that Marcus Hall doesn't get as much space. They need to make sure that the Raptors bench isn't just going to assert its will in the same way. But those are a lot of tasks and difficult tasks because at the same time you have to balance how do we guard Kawhi. Um, right. And and that is a mystery in and of itself with no definitive answer. I think the Warriors will come out swinging and mm-hmm. I think this is a Steph Curry game. You could yeah. argue that game one was a Steph game as well because he finished with 34. But even so... I kind of felt it was a pretty standard Steph game, game yeah. one. Yeah. I, which is absurd because he had 34 points and a true shooting percentage was 70.4. Well, you know, he only hit I mean, four threes instead of 10. So. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's so absurd. And that's basically what I'm saying. I think Steph is, he, he has to put up one of those. 52 pointers, you know, with 11 mate threes or whatever. Yeah. I, I think. They need one of those games. Yeah, I'd agree. But I, I think Fred Van Vliet, as you mentioned, did a hell of a job defensively on him in game one. And I think he's going to make life really hard on Steph. Like, Steph's going to get his, much like Kawhi's going to get his. Mm. But it's just a matter of can you prevent him from a Pascal Siakam line of 14 of 17 shooting. Like, if right. you hold him to slightly less than 50% shooting, that's a win. Yeah, I, I totally agree. By the way, just a one note on Curry and just the absurdity level of him. Mm-hmm. So in game one, whenever he went to the line, he was 14 of 14. Yeah. Did you notice just the indifference in his eyes of going to the line? Just like, yeah, yeah I love that. I love that so much. He just steps up. There's just no pressure. He's He has this routine down now where he just understands 100% 
that he has to rely on his own skill set. Yeah. He steps up. It's like this little flick. Right. Swish. Swish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, like, there is no question every time he shoots that it's going in. Completely. And I think... So, so because of that, I think the Raptors also need to make it a priority for him to not get to the line. For sure. I mean, 14 free throws, 14 makes. That's a lot of points coming from the line for one player. Yeah. Especially in a final setting. So yep. if they can, I, I, I mean, you, then it, it becomes this situation. Would you rather give him two free throws or, or would you prefer him to take, you know, 15 threes? Right. Where you're kind of juggling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure. But I, I think I'm still leaning towards the three-pointers because, you know, he can theoretically at least go cold. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just would rather play those odds than I would put him on the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of think the Raptors win game two as well. I, I I mean, look, I wouldn't put it against them. I said I said Warriors in five before the start of this series, mm-hmm. just simply because I, I, I we do this all the time, you know, where we talk up this team and we're like, maybe this is the time yeah. that the Warriors lose, yada yada yada. Then Curry comes out and then just like, nope, shut up, right. you're all dumb. And I just really didn't want to find myself in that situation again. Having said that, after game one, I'm sitting there going, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But to be fair, yeah, I think you picked. Didn't you pick Bucks in five over the Celtics? And then after game one, you were in a similar boat? Yeah. Yeah, I was. So I, there's I was. hope. There is hope. Well, hope, I mean, look, it, it would be so much fun to see the Raptors win the championship. I agree. Well, may, maybe not for Sarah. Yeah, so. no, that's true. Yeah. yeah no, I've. Yeah. I know. I, I'm still mad at Kawhi for what he did to the Sixers, but whatever is going to get him out of Toronto, whatever makes it more likely winning or losing, I hope that outcome happens. But <laughs> but I was also thinking, I mean, like, genuinely, I do, like, Raptors fans have gone through so much crap in recent years, and, yeah. like, they're just so happy right now. I think everyone should enjoy that because, you know, like, I went through this with the Eagles a couple years ago. Like, it's very, very satisfying to see a team you've cheered for your whole life and a team that continually lets you down. It is so immensely satisfying to see them finally win that, like, for the sake of Raptors fans, I really do hope the Raptors win this series because they yeah. deserve to experience that joy and exuberance and just don't climb up the street pole like my friends and I try to. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You you have a drinking problem with this when <laughs> yeah. you win. You know that, right? That's that's just Philadelphia in general. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I mean look, if we if we're taking like a more wholesome perspective of this, there's also an added benefit if the if the Raptors win this. Because obviously, you know, they're the only uh, team um in Canada of representative mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and for them to win, it would just garner so much more attention towards them from a Canadian perspective. So you would yeah. increase the interest in basketball in Canada significantly and we've seen over the last couple of years or more so actually over the last half decade that Canada produces a lot of NBA players yeah so true. if you increase the level of of interest in the game and you get more kids involved in playing youth program basketball and they you know have big eyes toward the Raptors and what Kawhi did and all this thing I would assume that the product that ends up on an NBA basketball court eventually would be better because there would just be more players to pick from from a Canadian perspective. So if you look at it from that perspective, I would definitely go with the Raptors. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to have more Andrew Wiggins in the league. <laughs> well, you focus on Jamal Murray instead, right? There we go. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, more, let's or, or, or R.J. Hampton. Oh, uh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. Clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance let's shift gears now and talk more about the houston rockets who oh god continue to just with every passing day fall into more of a state of disrepair apparently yes Um, so last episode we talked about the Woj report that they are shopping all of their players Uh the day after Woj breaks that news the Ra- the Rockets come out and they were discussing a contract extension with Mike D'Antoni on Thursday. Mike D'Antoni says, "No more. We will not be discussing this. I'm going into my final year uh, under my contract, and we'll see what happens after that." Tillman Fertitta, the owner, and Daryl Morey have a hastily arranged news conference on Thursday, in which they said. It basically, like, you know, they, they laid out the terms of the offer and they said, you know, we offered him $5 million, a $5 million base salary and a $1 million bonus for every round of the playoffs they get past. Right. D'Antoni's agent comes out and tells Jonathan Feigen of the Houston Chronicle, uh, actually, that wasn't what it was. He said, <laughs> the reported $5 million is really $2.5 million because it comes with contingencies one, it's only $5 million if he makes the playoffs. And two, right. if he is coaching the team at the end of the year. If they decide to fire Mike in the proverbial change of direction, he gets $2.5 million. If there is an injury or a change in the roster construction, of which Mike has no control, he nonetheless would become a victim of it. And John, and Feigen put this, the even if it, the $5 million was the base salary offer, he put this in perspective and he noted, this is well shy of other recent contracts for veteran coaches such as Terry Stotts or Dwayne Casey. If the base salary is $2.5 million, it's less than what Nick Nurse and James Borrego got. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Mike. I, like, I just don't understand. I mean, what do you think of all of this? He's not coaching the Rockers, Rockets next season. I just don't understand it. I don't understand no. what they're doing. All right, so here's the thing, right? Mike is 68. Yeah. I mean, you can argue that, oh, okay, he's got enough time to take one more season with the Rockets and then find something else. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sitting there thinking he has to be looking at his own age and, and trying to figure out, okay, you know what? Retirement is kind of sneaking up on me. Uh, it might be time to to 
get in my last coaching gig and not waste away, you know, one of the, the last good years I have as an NBA coach. I, I would be extremely surprised if Mike D'Antoni is the head coach of the Houston Rockets when next season rolls around. Yeah, I mean, that's what it, you know, they pushed out a lot of his assistants, or they, yeah. they did not bring those guys back, including uh, the defensive coordinator who is widely credited for saving what was a terrible defense to start the year. Right. So that initially led to speculation that they're trying to push him out too. Now you have this. You have the report that they're, you know, shopping everyone. Sham Sharania had that report a couple weeks ago where they said, you know, there was a push and pull all year between Harden and Paul about the amount of motion in the offense, the amount of passing. It sounded like Paul was not super thrilled about the number of isolations they ran, which is frankly understandable. Yes. It's just wild to me that this team was a 65-win team on the precipice of the finals a year ago, and we're here already. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gone south, and it's gone south real quick. You know, you have to wonder if Tillman Fertitta is, is part of the reason for that. I mean, we, we've talked about the, that before. Mm-hmm. You know, him wanting to save money. Which, I mean, let, let's just pull back a little bit. That's fair. It's yeah. fair for an owner to want to save money. It just is the most in most awkward time to be financially aware when your team is that close to actually winning something of substance. Right. So 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 the timing is just off. But it seems that this Rockets era with the with the James Harden led team is at the very minimum going to go through a a retooling process. Maybe not a, a rebuilding process, but a retooling process. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that is going to work out because Harden is going to be 30 by the time next season rolls around and retooling process takes, you know, two years roughly. So then you get a team in place and he's 32. Right. Now they need to go through, you know, the playoffs and, you know, the new system of a new coach, everything, everything needs to be in place and they have to make sure that everything is right. And they have to go through the trials of the playoffs. Maybe they get bounced and like, Oh, okay, we can come back next year. But at that time, James will be 33. I don't know, man. I'm I'm very skeptical of of what they're trying to do here. I mean, unless Maury is still at the helm, that's kind of what I'm assuming he won't be because you mentioned it last time we recorded that you hope that that Daryl Maury has an exit strategy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that would make total sense to me as well. But, I mean, I would trust him if he's still at the helm and, and he's getting a lot of green lights to do whatever the hell he wanted because he's a genius if not oh boy yeah. oh boy this this is going to be like the the washington wizard situation right it's just it 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 continues to be wild to me when fertitta took over yeah he said i have no problem paying luxury checks if i truly think that it truly gives me the chance to win the championship next year mm-hmm they were a 65-win team. They went to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. They then did not bring back Trevor Ariza. They did not bring back Luke Mbamute. Fine, right. Trevor Ariza's probably not worth $15 million. I, I get it. I, it makes sense. But then just the series of moves they made throughout the rest of the season to get under the luxury tax threshold this, this year... Yeah. They did not use their full taxpayer mid-level exception, so they did not get under. So they were under the tax. All of a sudden, you get to the playoffs, and you have a seven-man rotation. 
you know, it was their five starters and Austin Rivers. You got a little sprinkling of Gerald Green. You had no faith in Kenneth Reed by the time the Warriors series rolled around. It, I just, there's a clear connection here. And so, sure, I like, could Mike D'Antoni implement more motion in his offense? Of course. I, I'm not saying the the Rockets' offense was perfect. I, you know, I was pretty adamant that it wasn't in those last couple games. But I think part of that is a byproduct of only having a seven-man rotation. You you can't run a super up-tempo pace, especially against the Warriors, because you're going to run yourself down to exhaustion. Yeah. And, yep. you know, the, their strategy, I think, in part was to slow it down against them. Because if you have, like, in theory, you know, you, the ISOs make you more predictable, but not passing the ball, in theory, leads to a reduction in run-out turnovers. I think the Rockets were sixth in the NBA in terms of fewest turnovers this year. So you're at least not giving the Warriors, like, just give away two points that, you know, the Warriors have been sloppy with the ball. Like, they... They had 17 turnovers in game one of the finals. That led to 24 fast break points for the Raptors. That was bad. That's what the Rockets mm-hmm. want to avoid. So could D'Antoni implement more motion and more passing and you know find a middle ground between just 100 James Harden isos? Yeah, sure, probably. But mm-hmm. I also think he needs more than seven players. And, yeah. and I think it all comes back to Fertitta. Yeah, not being able to or, or willing to pay for those six or players. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're going to, we talked about last episode, they're they're going into this summer, their entire starting five is under contract, and they're already up to $116.6 million. So mm-hmm. staying under the tax is going to be incredibly difficult if they don't make a major trade. Now, I can get why, you know, the, the Chris Paul thing, like his contract is not going to age well. No kidding. That was obvious from the second he signed it. But yes. I don't see a Chris Paul trade out there that is going to make them better. <laughs> I mean, no, we, we've talked about this last time as well. I mean, what are the candidates really? Right. I mean, the Lakers, if they strike on out on everyone, I mean, that that's one. And that's and, but but those take like extraordinary circumstances. They would have to strike out in free agency and the trade market for even to be that desperate to go for Paul. Right. I mean, there. Yeah, I had an article about this as well up on Forbes, basically. And thank you for the headline. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on that article, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris Paul's patient zero for Rockets uh, financial woes. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, very good. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have one coming out. Sometime next week, I'm not sure when, but uh, it's just going to be about the Rockets' frugality being at the root of their problems. And I think this D'Antoni thing is emblematic of how they've operated, like Mm. just trying to cut corners financially wherever they can. You have a coach who got you to the Western Conference Finals. It got you to Game 6 of the Conference Finals. Like The Rockets were one win away, one regular season win away from avoiding the Warriors until the Conference Finals again. Like The bracket (laughs) broke very poorly for them due to a, a lot of weird circumstances on that final day of the regular season. Like there, it was very hard for them to slip to four, but everything fell in line for them to do it. Well, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I, I just have to say this. If it hadn't, we wouldn't have gotten Portland Denver in the second. round. Oh no. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, I'm happy it did. Cause I, you know, I'm happy for Portland, but I, I think the Rockets would have beat either Portland or Denver. Right. 
Portland, yes. I'm not sure about Denver. I think Denver matches up against mm. Houston real well. But my point was really just that that was an amazing series. Oh, yeah. So we were yeah. we would have been robbed from that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I there's definitely a world wherein they could have beat, beaten both Portland and and Denver, like yeah. whoever they've gotten. Yeah, and, and they would have gotten to the conference finals, and then they would have gotten gotten their asses kicked. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Which is fine, but I mean, yeah. maybe Kevin Durant's hurt the entire series. That I just I don't get. This isn't the Charlotte Hornets running it back. This is a really good team that's been a couple of bad breaks away from potentially winning it all. Mm-hmm. And the Warriors are going to get worse this summer if Kevin Durant leaves. Like, I'm yes, the Warriors beat the Rockets in the fourth quarter of Game 5, and they beat them in Game 6 without Durant. They swept the Portland Trailblazers without Durant. We saw in Game 1 of the Finals that they are more mortal without Durant. This whole, like, are they better without Durant thing? That was always stupid because you're replacing Durant with replacement level players and you don't have a, like if Durant leaves this summer, they're not going to have 35 million in cap space to replace him. They have no cap space. Right. So they, they might have better chemistry without Durant to some extent, but in terms yeah. of raw skill level and talent level, like no. Yeah. Right. Like Durant is their bailout option on offense. Like if they can't generate offense from Steph and Clay. We were talking about earlier. They they don't have a dependable third option. Like Dre's a great playmaker, but you're probably not going to get a huge scoring burst from Draymond Green either. Durant is that guy, and Durant's probably going to leave. So the Rockets, like feasibly, without making if they just run back the same starting five, actually spend money in free agency this year. Whether it's the you know they're probably only going to have the taxpayer mid level, but that's fine. They could they have bird rights on Shumpert, so they can bring him back too. Mm-hmm. Use that money, get one guy to you know. Hopefully, try to bring back like Gerald Green or something, or just get a couple of veteran minimum guys. You could be the best team in the West without doing much. Yeah, yeah, you could. Um, I saw something on Twitter the other day that it just fascinated me. I mean, obviously, it happened two years ago. You can't really go back and change anything. It was just fascinating. Uh, it was a, it was a Rockets fan who who said we never should have gone for Chris Paul. We should have gone for Kemba instead. Ooh. Like I was like, yeah, but you know, Chris at that point in time was just you know better defensively, he still yeah, is, yeah. Um, better floor leader, yada yada yada. But when you really think about it, he's right because both H wise he aligns with Harden that much that much better. Yeah, he's not this volatile personality that Chris Paul can be, and it does seem like wherever Paul is. Like, his welcome is worn out eventually. Teammates yeah. are just tuning him out because he's a constant talker. Right. Mm. And, I mean, look, the three-point barrage in, in and of itself between Harden and Kemba. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I that's neither here or there. But it's yeah. interesting to look back and see in terms of the opportunities they, they did have to improve the roster. And they ended up with someone who was significantly older. They knew they had to extend him. So, I mean... At the end of the day, the Rockets made a call, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's fair to call them out for saying, you know, yeah, you took a win-now approach. That's fine, but there were alternatives you could have pulled on because you decided to go for a guy who you knew you'd have to re-up for long money. Right. Now you're paying the consequences of that. So nobody really feels sorry for you. Like, yeah. They, you knew they that took, coming in. They took a win-now approach, and now they're trying to go back on that, even though they right. should, they're still in the window of win-now. Exactly. It's, it's very dumb. Yeah. It's like yeah. this is... This is what frustrates NBA fans, I think, 
more than anything, it's what the pre-processors were. I feel like it's the same thing that you hate about the Bulls. It's a team that like doesn't have a clear direction, a clear long-term plan. Like if you're if you're picking a lane, stay in that lane. Right. But you can't pay Chris Paul a four-year, hundred and sixty million dollar contract, and then the next year be like, oh, actually, this was a terrible idea. <laughs> now we're gonna have to dump him for you know Andrew Wiggins. Like, no. Right. I I think I think that's really also the premise of of just poor NBA, uh, poorly NBA run organization. And I'm I'm prefacing this by saying I'm not including Daryl Morey into that. I think right. Morey is brilliant. Yeah. I but I but I think he's there have been some orders from off top, and he yes. is still an employee, so yeah. he has to do what what you know Fertitta says. Right. But this this is where NBA organizations go wrong, right? When they just wear off this path that they've set for themselves. You, you, you brought up the Bulls, which is a very good example for them. Remember to the Jimmy Butler situation they had going into 2016 free agency. Butler was really coming into his own, mm-hmm. and it was apparent they needed to just flank him with a ton of shooters. Oh, yeah. Because he could have he could actually have been as good as James Harden in that, in that type of role, or at least as influential, because he's a two-way player, you know, fantastic passer, rarely turns the ball over. Just not as much of a shooter, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that's so that's what you needed to find. You needed to find like Seth Curry. You needed to find those guys. Instead, it was Rashawn Rondo and Dwayne Wade because oh oh big names, big <laughs> names, way past their primes. Three Let's go for it. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> so and, and and that's just one example in terms of an NBA organization just pivoting into something crazy. Right. I mean. Where you think about it and you go, oh, you know, that one decision that set a team back for years. Yeah. The Chris Paul contract in and of itself, because it now needs to be resolved, or at least because the Rockets have decided that it needs to be resolved, means that they're probably not going to get anything back that is remotely positive because they'll have to pay up to get Paul off their cab in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's just going to take them back a couple of years, and they don't have time for that with Harden's age. Right. It's... Yes, you just you hit the nail on the head. It's about when teams starts to pivot, and they believe that they can, you know, build for for X and while doing C. That's just not how it works anymore. You need to stay the course, and the Rockets right now are not staying the course, and that's a major problem. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Who am I, and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen, and I'm feeling great. Thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management, and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings. And I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com xm to learn more. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance uh before we wrap up more let's go into a little bit of draft buzz we had yes. this report from jonathan gavoni of espn yesterday that came out he it was they were talking about 
RJ Barrett and what his value is. And there are a couple interesting nuggets in there. First is that, you know, he reported a few weeks ago that the Grizzlies had informed parties that they intend to select John Morant at number two. But Memphis has apparently been sending out some mixed messages. The Grizzlies ownership group is still telling people around the league that the team is locked in on Morant. But they did request Barrett for a private workout, which he declined. The other thing is, um, New York has explored the possibility of trading back in the lottery, perhaps Mm -hmm. to acquire pieces that better complement potential high-volume all-star free agents such as Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. Trading the number three pick for the Atlanta Hawks' two first-rounders, numbers eight and ten, is under consideration by the Knicks. Do you think if... Does that does that theoretical package three, four, eight, and ten make sense for either side, both sides, one side? So first and foremost, I like that the Knicks are considering trading down. That's smart, especially in this draft. And if they can get two top ten picks for their top three pick, I consider that a win for this year. Their logic behind doing it that it needs to complement potential NBA superstars. That's problematic because <laughs> that means that they will start drafting for need mm-hmm. instead of, you know, finding the best player. Right. Uh, so I'm personally very, very high on French forward Sekou Dumboya. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, I could see a scenario where he ends up being better than RJ Barrett. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable take because he's so, so super duper young and he's gifted in so many different ways. I could also be very much wrong, but here we are. It's the draft. It's a crapshoot. Um, if you can get him at 8 or 10, and you can still pick up a, I don't know, a Jackson Hayes or, I don't know, whoever. Uh, maybe DeAndre Hunter slips. Like, yeah, those are valuable pieces that you can build to your team. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. I just don't like the reasoning for it. What was the other trade you mentioned? Uh, I think that was... Uh, well, that was just... To, it's for, so for the Knicks side... Right. But then for the Hawks as well, does it make sense to package 8 and 10 to move up to 3 to get R.J. Oh. Barrett? Well, actually, I just wrote another thing for Forbes, oh, basically suggesting that, that the, the Hawks, they could round out their core by mm-hmm. having 8 and 10. Um, because they, ha- they have so many pieces, and if they add two top 10 picks to that core, they're getting a lot closer to having something of that is really intriguing right there. Yeah. Um, depending on the player, I I, I I you know I have to assume is R.J. Barrett going third. They the Hawks do need a wing, mm-hmm. so there's definitely a level of intrigue there. But then again, it now we go back to need, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I I think there is a lot of potential sticking with eight and ten, especially in this draft, because after Sion and Morant, it's basically a crapshoot. Yeah. I mean, and and if you're being really strict about it. It's after Scion, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah. So from from the Hawks, I would definitely entertain the offer. I would definitely have like a ton of meetings over a week long period just going back and forth. Um, but but I wouldn't necessarily do it unless it made a ton of sense. And I, I was extremely high on Barrett. Yeah. Which I'm not. Yeah. Well, so Gavoni said a move like this likely wouldn't happen until the draft was actually underway, as both teams would want to know which players are actually available with the number yes. eight pick before consummating a trade. Because whoever falls between Barrett and Morant, you got to figure the Knicks take at three. And if it's Morant at three, which I don't think it's going to be, but if it is, that kills the Hawks' interest because they have Trey Young already. So, 
assuming right. Knicks take Barrett at three. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> your point about the Knicks is spot on. Like, you're making moves. I, I mean, unless, again, unless they know 100% that Kevin Durant is coming to that team, because I would agree that R.J. Barrett is a high-volume, medium-to-low-efficiency wing. He does not necessarily fit well with two All-Stars ready to win now. Right. But if he if you strike out in free agency, if something unexpected happens, all of a sudden you traded a potential number one option on offense for two lower volume complementary guys, but now you don't have that centerpiece to build around. So that's an issue if you're the Knicks. But yeah, for the Hawks, it's interesting because I I almost would rather just see them stay put. Yeah. Because yeah. I. Especially, you know, there are rumors out there that Casey Johnson of the Chicago Tribune, among others, have referenced that uh, sources around the league believe Darius Garland and Kobe White both have promises before where the Bulls pick at seven, which... Yeah, top six promises, yeah. Right, so most likely the assumption is Garland has been promised by the Lakers at four, and then Kobe White has been promised by the Suns at six, because both of those teams needed a point guard. Cleveland has Colin Sexton in five. They there's no reason they would promise a point guard. You would hope, but who knows? It's no, they're probably. I mean, I'm I'm just guessing here, but they're probably locked in on Jared Culver. Right. I imagine. Right. So then, if you're the Hawks at eight, you get uh, uh, DeAndre Hunter most likely or Dembo- Domboya, and then like at ten, you could. I mean, whichever if Domboya falls past who's right. nine, the Wizards are nine. If he falls, the Wizards are nine. I I think Hunter goes seven to Chicago though. I think oh, there really? is a pretty clear like top seven uh, perspective of who's the top, the seven best players in that sense. I don't necessarily agree that that's going to be the case, but I think it seems like that's locked in. So I think it's Hunter at seven. And, and then it's probably Jackson Hayes at eight or at 10, depending on who you think higher of. So it comes mm-hmm. down to, like, this is a, a 1997 Boston Celtics situation where they had the number three and number six pick in the draft. And they ended up going with Chauncey Billups at the th- uh, with at three, and Ron Mercer at six. They originally wanted Ron Mercer at three, but they knew that the the, the teams uh, drafting right behind them in the middle of those two picks mm-hmm. were very interested in in, uh, in uh, yeah in no thing. Sorry, the other way around, obviously. So they, they yeah they wanted uh, him early and they wanted Chauncey Billups uh, at, at six, but they knew that the teams were really, were interested in Billups specifically. Mm-hmm. So they had to take him at three, and then they took Mercer at six. So there's a, l- a little bit joggling going on there in terms of what player do we choose first? We have two guys on the board. We love them very much. Both of them we, we think they could do great, but there's that ninth pick in 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 washington looming around so we have to prioritize what player we could we take first mm-hmm. i would you know i would personally go with dumboya i mentioned hayes because i think there's a tendency of teams hesitating with international prospects so mm-hmm. i'm gambling a little bit and i'm just saying hayes first because he's a more known commodity for most nba teams right so if you get him off it you if you get if you get him off the board then maybe Washington is like, okay, let's see what we can get in terms of, you know, a college player leaving Dumboya for number 10. Mm-hmm. And the hope here, of course, is that uh, the Wizards will take Cam Reddish at 9. Right. I I assume the Bulls would take Cam Reddish at 7. That's why I thought Hunter at 8 at first. Cause Cam I mean, Reddish, I, I wouldn't put like... anything past the Bulls. Uh, yeah. I, I, do, I do think that Cam Reddish 
could be an option for them at seven. I just think DeAndre Hunter fits their mold as well. Like he's just come off a national championship. The Bulls really value that stuff. Like they they love it. Competitor, and he's older. He's not a freshman. Remember? Yeah, I know. I know. So yeah. Oh, I thought Cam Reddish would just have the like he's a Duke star kind of appeal. Yeah, he could be well, a I mean, one option. Look, we are we are 19 days away, so right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is it was more like Hunter is the smart choice, which is why they will take Reddish. That was my logic there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally see it. So, so that could play out that way. But right. I mean, for me, I yeah, I, I think ultimately when it comes down to it, I would also stick with eight and ten if I'm Atlanta, just because yeah. it's too. And again, it's it's also more, also more two more swings with the bat, right? Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. again, that's going back to the you know process Sixers philosophy. Yeah. The more swings at the bat you get, the better. Right. And if you don't think there's a gigantic difference between three and those two picks, I'd rather just have two rookies locked in on four-year cost-efficient rookie contracts. Right. Like the Hawks' salary sheet moving forward after next season is fantastic. They could be a major. I mean, this year they I think they even have close to forty million. But after like Bazemore comes off their books next year, um, I believe Plumlee does too, right? I believe so. I haven't really looked at their cap situation. By the way, don't don't they actually save money as well by picking eighth and ten? Um, Doesn't the number three overall earn more than those two guys combined? I would have to double check. I think it'd be close. Yeah, I mean, it's not something where it does you know a major difference. It's just intrigue. Yeah, um, but yes, Miles Plumley comes off. Both Ken Basemore and Miles Plumley come off uh, after next season. Uh, yeah. Alex Len comes off. You'll you'll have to extend Torian Prince, but I mean, look, I like Torian Prince, but he's he shouldn't cost you like the farm at all. And I don't think you extend him this summer. I think if anything, you just keep him let him become a restricted free agent and then see what happens. But he only has a $10.4 million cap hold. Yeah. But yeah, that's I mean, they only have after this season, they have like, I mean, they don't have a single player under a guaranteed contract. They're going to pick up obviously the options on Trey and John Collins and Kevin Erder and, you yeah. know, Mari Spellman, but yeah, like their books are completely clean. Yeah. They, they have a world of opportunity in front of them. And then locking two more guys in on rookie contracts. I just double-checked. Three would be a little bit cheaper than eight and ten combined. Oh, okay. Um, but still, like, eight... The rookie scale for eight, you would multiply this by 1.2 because everyone gets 120%. But the scale amount is 4.0 million for eight, 3.5 for ten. So, like, a little... Yeah, I mean, under five yeah, million okay. for both of those guys. That's just, and then you could theoretically maybe play it out with offering eighty percent of the rookie scale because that is also allowed. Yeah, I mean, if you want to piss, if you wanted to, yeah, yeah, if you, you want, want to, to piss your, <laughs> no, but I, I was just curious. It was just, I mean, obviously during the because of their cap sheet, as you just yeah. brought it up, it has no ramifications of anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, right. but that's fine. Yeah. yeah, they just have like a world of flexibility in front of them. So getting two more guys on cheap contracts for a long time, like. All of a sudden, they could be like this summer. I don't think they're going to be major players in terms of like the top tier free agents. I think mm-hmm. they're more probably going to be trying to take salary dumps from other teams. Right. But next year, 
they could be a major spot for free agent or could continue taking salary dumps and could continue building that asset chest up. Like they, I, I really think the Hawks are a sleeping giant in the East. Yep. yep. I, like, I think they're a, a maybe two years away from just being a perennial playoff contender. I would agree with that. And I would also use next season just asset accumulation mode. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, we will be back, presumably, after Game 2 of the Finals, and hopefully we'll have a little more news on KD and when exactly to expect him back. In the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. It really helps us out. And we are now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Tapork, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. By the way, I can uh, I, I will heavily advise you to go see uh, uh, Godzilla two. I just came oh, back no. from it today. Oh yeah. Oh, no. oh yeah. The the monster word the monster verse is real. I love it. Oh my god. I, you just need to shut off your brain for two and a half hours. It's I'm fine. Never going to trust your movie takes again. That's terrible. No, no, I'm saying it's not great, but it's got great action. Okay. You'll love it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to save up for Hobbs and Shaw. That's where I'm at. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no. I, I'm going to see that on day one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right. Catch you later, man. You too, man. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.